Welcome to Blessings in Christ. I'm Scott Roberts. We are also the Church of Christ, preaching the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Our lesson today is by J.W. Holcomb. He is preaching on the sin of fornication from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We hope that you enjoy the lesson today, and we ask that you like us on Facebook. Thank you. I wish I knew 
Now let us turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and let us begin to read with verse 1. It is reported calmly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Here is a stern rebuke of the Apostle Paul to the congregation of the Church of Christ meeting at Corinth. You remember Paul told Timothy to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We as members of the church need stern rebuke when we are guilty of sin, and we must allow the word of God to reprove us, to rebuke us, and to correct us. Now here was a congregation of the church meeting at Corinth, and we understand this was a seacoast town and people from all areas and all walks of life landed there in Corinth and that many became members of the church but still had some very low morals. And it seems that this is true because of all of the reproof and the rebuke and the correcting that Paul had to do from time to time to the church there at Corinth. Now here was a terrible thing that was going on and in this congregation and they were allowing this uh, to continue and had done nothing about as far as withdrawing fellowship or putting away from among them a person that would be guilty of such things. And he said it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. That's illicit sexual relationship. The only legal sexual relationship that is relationship that would be pleasing in the sight of God is in holy matrimony, in marriage. I realize the fact today that people don't think much of marriage and they don't believe that it is essential to be married and they live together more like animals out in the field than human beings. But it still stands and is true that with God Almighty, the only sexual relationship that will please Him or acceptable in His sight is those that are uh, scripturally married, that a man leaves his father and mother and he cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. And this was the way God intended it in the beginning and that children were thus to be born uh, in a holy wedlock. But here was a man that had committed fornication and he was among them. He was in the congregation of the church at Corinth. But the fornication he committed was such that was not as much as named among the Gentiles. And that is the Gentiles were considered by the Jewish people as being sinners and uh, that the Jews had been God's chosen people through the Old Testament period of dispensation of time, but even the Gentiles who in the past had not had the law of God unto them until Jesus died upon the cross and broke down the middle wall of partition and commissioned, of course, his apostles to go into all the world 
and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, the Gentiles had not been under the law of Moses, God's law that was to the Jews. And so he is saying that those that had not in the past had God's law had not stooped as low as this man had to have his father's wife. And as far as I know, all of the uh, scholars and everyone that has commented concerning this, that he had no doubt his stepmother, and not his uh, actually mother at all, but his stepmother. Well, the Bible doesn't say, and so uh, we will just leave it like the Bible teaches here, that he had his father's wife. And he said, Ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. That discipline might be practiced upon this man rather than them being puffed up going along with this, allowing this to go on in the church uncorrected, that actually they should have taken action upon this man that was guilty of such. They ought to have been mourning because of this terrible sin that was there in the congregation of the church. And instead, they were allowing it to go on, and he speaks of that as them being puffed up, and rather than to practice the discipline and put away from among them and from among their fellowship a man that had done this deed. And then in verse 3 he said, For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. Paul did not have to be present with them to uh, instruct them as to what should be done. And even though he was absent from them, yet this report that he believed to be a true report that came unto him, he judged, he passed the judgment as to what should be done. And Paul was inspired with the baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit and thus was qualified to give the correct instructions to this congregation as to what should be done in a case of this kind. And so he said, I, as though I was, uh, even though I'm absent from you, and even though as if I was present, I've already judged concerning him that has done this deed. In verse 4 he said, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That is for them to practice the discipline upon this man that had done this deed when you come together, when you assemble in a congregation of the church and he said, my spirit, that Paul would be with them in the spirit in the sense that he was instructing them as to what they were to do in this case and that he was with them in this matter and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, certainly the Lord would be with them also in this matter if they would practice the discipline that was required upon this man that had done such deed. Deliver such an one unto Satan. What they mean by this, what he means by this, of course, is for them to let it be known, let him know that they did not condone such sin. Such sin was not condoned in the church of Christ. 
and deliver him to Satan. That is, to uh, withdraw their fellowship from him, practice this discipline on him, and deliver him unto Satan. Let him know that he is following the devil, that he cannot just come in pretense as be everything being all right with God and that he was well-pleasing in the sight of God when actually he was serving Satan because of the sin that he had committed. And so you deliver such a one unto Satan. You withdraw your fellowship from this one for the destruction of the flesh. That is, for the destruction of his sins of the flesh, satisfying the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That is, by you practicing this discipline upon him, that he would be caused to repent and thus to make all wrongs right to get out of this condition that he is in, genuinely repenting, dying to the love and practice of all sin, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Even though members of the church may do some uh, terrible wrong like this, that it would allow Satan to influence them to go ahead and satisfy the fleshly appetites and the fleshly desires, if that person will genuinely with all of their heart repent and correct this and uh, ask of God that he would forgive them of such sins, that being God's plan unto an erring child of God. And of course, sometimes people get prayer mixed up with the plan of salvation that alien sinners must obey to become Christians, to be pardoned and forgiven of all of their past sins. They get that plan, faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. They get that all mixed up here with the plan that God gives to an erring child of God to one that has obeyed this plan of salvation and they have the alien sinner praying through and getting saved, they say. But of course, that's not the plan. That's not according to the word of God. We know that the effectual fervent prayers of righteous people avails much, James the fifth chapter, and the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And so these are all statements concerning God's attitude toward the accepting of prayer as to whose prayer that his ears are open unto. 1 Peter 3, 12, John 9, 31, and of course James the fifth chapter. Now, notice he said here, you practice this discipline upon this man that he might repent, that the uh, body of sin might be destroyed, and that's what he's talking about, the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, that is, when Jesus Christ comes again, that his soul might be saved eternally. Now in verse 6 he said, Your glorying is not good. That is, they were glorying in this, and this sinful uh, practice of this individual, and do, doing nothing about it, not reproving him. But of course we see that here is another problem in the congregation there that needed reproof and rebuke and correction. And they either did not understand or else they were ignoring what God had commanded one or the other. They were not doing what they should be doing. And so he said, your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven 
leaveneth the whole lump. Don't you know that you're allowing this sin to go on in the church uncorrected? Makes all of you, the entire congregation, displeasing in the sight of God. This leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. You allow this sin to go on in the church. That makes all of you guilty. And furthermore, with this going on in the church and others are subject to follow suit, and the whole congregation would be guilty even of such sins. If that man can do it, then another can do it. And no, you can't do that and be acceptable in the sight of God. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, so all of you are guilty because you are not practicing the discipline upon this man that needs to be practiced. Then he said in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Practice this discipline. Withdraw your fellowship from this man that has done this. Call upon him to repent, to correct his ways. And therefore you purge out that old leaven, that old sin that is in the congregation of the church here that's uh, causing all of you to be displeasing in the sight of God. Your glorying is not good. You're not to glory in such sin. And then he said, As ye are unleavened, that is, a true congregation of the church of Christ is to be unleavened. They're not to be leavened with sin. They have repented of sin. They are now to walk in newness of life, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So you're to live a holy life. You're not to be leavened with sin. Ye are unleavened. And then he said, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Christ died for the church, a glorious church, that he could present this glorious church unto his Father when God someday declares that time shall be no more and he sends his Son to judge the world. Then all of those that are well-pleasing and acceptable in the sight of the Lord, congregations of the church that have practiced such discipline and kept themselves unspotted from the world and practiced discipline upon those who fail to so live, then they will be on the right hand of Jesus and that church in its glorified state will then be delivered unto God the Father according to 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter. But here was Jesus, our Passover lamb, that went to the cross and died for us. He was unleavened. He, was, he had no guile in his mouth. He was without sin. He could live upon this earth some 33 years, tempted in all points like as man, and yet without sin. He did not yield to any of those temptations to sin. And so he was our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. And we are thus to be unleavened with sin. We are to be clean and pure and holy as Jesus Christ was clean and pure. We're to follow that example that he said, Peter tells us, to follow in his steps. And then in verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast. And that, of course, the feast is talking about the uh, assembly of the church, the worship of the church. We have a spiritual feast when we come together, when we assemble to worship God in spirit and in truth. We are there feasting upon the Word of God. And this is as a spiritual, it's a spiritual feast as if a family uh, comes together to have a, a physical feast 
come together for the family to prepare uh, a nice meal and all eat together and all enjoy this. Well, so it is with the family of God. Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, the church is the family of God and we come together to feast upon the word of God. So he said now, therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, not with the old life that we one time uh, practiced when we were in sin, when we uh, were doing those things displeasing in the sight of God. No, we're now in Christ and we arise to walk in newness of life. So not with that old leaven of sin, no, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, with malice toward others and uh, wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is the way that we keep the feast, he said, as members of the church coming together to worship God, to feast upon God's word, to have this spiritual food uh, for our soul, and we are not to keep this feast with sin in the camp and with the old leaven of sin and uh, with the leaven of malice and wickedness, any uh, kind of wickedness or sin, no. But we now have obeyed the gospel, having repented of all sin, and uh, we are not to condone sin, even on the part of others in the church, and we are to be unleavened with that. And he speaks here as a figure of speech concerning the spiritual bread of breaking the bread of life, the preaching of the gospel, and feasting upon the word of God as the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's the way we feast when we come together in all honesty and sincerity and the love of God in our heart, the love for Christ and what he did for us, the love of God for what he has done in that of giving his son and Jesus that died for us and the truth revealed by the Holy Spirit and we're there in all honesty and sincerity. We want the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth because that's what makes man free from the bondage of sin. That's the unleavened bread that we partake of in our spiritual feasts when we come together to worship God. So don't allow sin to go on there in the church. Don't condone sin, but you reprove that and rebuke those that are guilty. And if they do not correct their ways, then we put away from among ourselves that wicked person, that uh, sinful one that is uh, throwing a reproach upon the body of Christ that Jesus died for upon the cross. Then he said in verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Now, Paul had previously uh, told them uh, that they were not to keep company with fornicators. And then he said, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. He said, I'm not talking about the fornicators out in the world. The church cannot control the world. It can control itself. And that's the way God intended it. We don't uh, pass uh, judgment or withdraw fellowship from somebody out in the world. We're not in fellowship with them in the first place. So Paul said, I'm not talking about the fornicators of the world. Certainly we're not to want to buddy with them either as far as that's concerned. He's, he is saying, but they're of necessity. 
we will be doing uh, business with them, possibly buying our groceries or uh, buying our gasoline or whatever we might uh, need. We may be dealing with a fornicator out in this world. So uh, we're not to run with them knowingly and buddy with them and company with them that are doing such, as far as that's concerned, anywhere. But, he said, I'm not just talking about those out there in the world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. We'll come in contact with people like that out in the world from time to time. So Paul said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said in verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Uh, a man that is called a brother. He said, that's the one that I'm talking about that you are to practice this discipline upon and deliver such a one unto Satan that you are not to glory in this as if everything is all right when it is not right. And not only a fornicator, but he said a covetous person or an idolater or a railer. And that's to, uh, to speak uh, uh, bitterly toward others or uh, to speak reproachably about others, rail upon others as we would uh, speak of it. He said, uh, uh, even I'm talking about that type of fellow or a drunkard or an extortioner, extortioner he, that's one that would uh, get money by violence or misuse or threats uh, of authority and uh, thus illegally getting uh, this world's goods. He said, any, a brother that's guilty of any of those things, he said, was such a one, no, not to eat. Well, what was he talking about, this eating? Well, primarily here he's talking about this feast uh, that we are to have when we come together. And you're not to condone that in your coming together in your assemblies and you're keeping this feast with that kind of person and that sin going on there in the congregation. This feast, uh, the spiritual feast uh, that we are keeping and he said, we are not to keep the feast with that kind of an individual. And so with such a one not to eat, but instead withdraw your fellowship from that individual. And of course, we are not to buddy with those, as I have stated, uh, in, in life at all, as if everything in any way, as if everything is all right, when they've not made their wrongs right. And you know a lot of times congregations of the church will take in uh, members as if everything was fine, use them in their assembly when they have been withdrawn from in uh, other faithful congregations of the church that's standing for all of the truth and their congregations that'll take them in with open arms. Such is condemned here by the Apostle Paul. They're keeping the feast with people that are unfaithful that have sinned against another congregation of the church. And that congregation trying to practice the discipline that God requires of them, and over here's another congregation that'll take them in with open arms. Is that congregation faithful when they do that? Well, 10,000 times no. They cannot be acceptable in the sight of God when they would do such. But I see that my time has run out for right now. I'm going to have to say goodbye, and we'll continue with our next study with this uh, chapter here of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But until then, here is your kind announcement.